Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. As always, we would like to start by thanking all our listeners for their continued support. Um please do continue to listen to us and spread the word about our podcast to your cricket loving friends. Uh if you haven't done so already please remember to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on be it uh, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Castbox or anything like that. You can find us easily there by searching for Armchair Cricket Podcast. Uh do not forget to leave us a rating preferably 5 stars and uh, provide your feed- feedback. You can reach out to us by email our email address is armchair.cricket@gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter our Twitter handle is @armchaircrickpod. You can also find us on Facebook. All links are uh, provided in the description box below. Now, um continuing with our focus on World Cup team selection, uh we have a special feature today on the England cricket team. Uh we are joined today by a friend of the podcast Nakul from uh, Guerrilla Cricket uh for this section. So he will join us later uh in this episode. Now uh before going ahead I would like to introduce uh, my co-host Ajit. Hello Ajit, how have you been? Hi Giri. I'm doing good. Uh well, it's been a, a tiring couple of days with work and what not. Uh yeah. but yeah, I mean otherwise things are going fine. How are you? Yeah, likewise here. I mean I've had a quite a tough week at work. So I haven't been able to catch up with a lot of cricket that's been going on, especially IPL. Mm. Um so yeah look look forward to you know um having this uh, podcast episode recorded uh because i would also like to hear uh, what nakul has to say especially because i think uh, he has a different perspective about uh, the cricket team uh, you yeah. know england cricket team so so look forward to that part uh, but apart from that yeah business as usual i would say um shall we start with the, the trivia then all right so the trivia question from last week was Which New Zealand cricketer was credited as being the first pinch hitting opener in ODIs? They're after making it a norm from the other team perspective. So, we are already talking about the 1992 World Cup, the hence the hint that it was a New Zealand cricketer. So, uh we did not get a lot of uh, right answers, but uh, well Kanna, the friend of the podcast, uh, has uh, given the right answer. The right answer is Mark Greatbatch, who was sort of a very powerful middle order batsman for New Zealand. Mm-hmm. but uh you know was promoted to open the batting for new zealand in the 1992 world cup by martin crowe the captain mm-hmm. and uh, he was a part of a bunch of experiments that new zealand ran so one of those was also opening uh, the bowling with uh, deepak patel the off spinner for example but uh, this one sort of paid off very well for them because they ran rampant in the group stages if i remember right, right yeah. in 1992 mm-hmm. right world cup anyway margaret batch did very well in that world cup and i think he can be credited as one of the first pinch hitting openers in odis and after this of course we remember sri lanka followed this format right with sanaj jayasurya who was also a middle order tyro being promoted to open along with uh, ramesh kalavitrana and the rest as they say right this history history yeah indeed yeah indeed yeah, fond memories uh, especially of uh, 
Jay Surya and uh, Kalvi Tarana. But it's good to know that there was someone else who started this. Mm-hmm. That was Mark mm-hmm. Greatpatch. Uh, he was one of my favorite cricketers back then when I was a kid. You know, that was actually I, that probably is uh, uh, the first World Cup I was able to follow as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I remember him, you know, going after the bowlers in the first 15 overs. And I had never thought of, you know, players who were uh, trying to do that. If you remember, uh, you know, somebody, you know, a typical opener like uh, Jeffrey Boycott, for example, would he have done this ever? You know, he would rather take the shine of the ball. You know, he would uh, grind down the uh, the the seamers, you know, the seam bowling attack uh, mm, in mm. the first 10, 15 overs. But I think right. that was the norm. They were take, you know, they were continuing with test uh, with the mentality of test cricket. But this mm, was, mm. Uh, I think, a breath of fresh air. I think he he, he, did, he did something, and then I think a trendsetter in my opinion. Of course, of course. Hence, I mean, we would like to give him credit for what he's been, you know. Uh, let's say he started a trend, or let's say he skipped, skippered it, Martin Crow, but it, it worked very well, right? Yeah. So, yeah, indeed. I mean, talking of Gray, uh, Jeffrey Boycott as an opener, <laughs> right? We discussed this a bit later when discussing about the final of the 1979 World Cup and how a very slow start with, uh, you know, Jeffrey Boycott and another opener, I think Edrich, it was Bill Edrich, uh, which sort of contributed to England losing. This is when we discussed with uh, Nakul later. I mean, I'm sure our listeners can also weigh in on their opinions on this. All right. Uh, going ahead, let's now look on the next section, which is the IPL highlight section, right? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, we can quickly mention that, well, uh, when Rajasthan Royals beat uh, Sunrisers Hyderabad, they were able to keep their, you know, their uh, chances in the tournament alive. Mm-hmm. But that meant Chennai qualified, Kiri. Uh, did you have a chance to look at this match? No, I only saw the uh, news later that uh, CSK, you know, made it through to the uh, qualifiers or eliminator, right? That's mm-hmm. what it's called now. Indeed. So, they, they are top of the table now? As it stands, CSK, right? Yes, yes. I mean, CSK, I think, have topped the table. And, uh, well, if you look at um, if you look at what happened in this match quickly, well, David Warner provided his sort of, uh, you know, uh, steady opening partnership with Kane Williamson uh, sort of opened now that Johnny Bairstow is gone. Uh, David Warner uh, made 37 runs out of 32 balls without a single boundary being scored, right? This was interesting. And then Manish Pandey, who came in at number three, provided the acceleration along with uh, David Warner. And he made a 61 of just 36 balls. But uh, there were not many other contributions down the order. Shankar, Shakibal, Hassan, or Deepak Kuda did not do much. As a result, they only finished with 164-8. And uh, in terms of bowling, Varun Aran, who came back to the pink clothing, right? Uh, he um, was able to take two for 36. And Oshin Thomas, uh, who's now featuring in the IPL as well, has, uh, you know, done well. And he took two for 28. And, of course, Jaydev Unadkar took two for 26. And Shreyas Kopal took two for 30. So it was an overall good bowling performance. And Rian Parag, who bowls uh, leg breaks as well, took three for 24 of his three uh, overs. Rather, zero for 24 out of his three overs. Mm-hmm. As a result, uh, Rajasthan Royals had just 161 to chase. And given that it's in Jaipur, they had the home support backing them. And they got through very comfortably. Uh, Ajinkya Rahane, who opened the batting, right, uh, scored 39 out of 34 balls. And then Liam Livingston provided the ballast, uh, or let's say the acceleration, who scored 44 of 26. Sanju Samson, bowl, uh, batting at 3, scored 48, not out of 32 balls, and took them home. And Stephen Smith also had a... Uh, important cameo of 22 runs so they effectively won this match very comfortably 
when it comes to uh, sunrises bowling there was not a lot to write home about shakib alasan opened the bowling with uh, bhuvneshwar kumar and they were very economical up top and they kept uh, the rajasthan royals batters quiet but uh, it was not amounting to much in the end and uh, i think rashid khan who's been very economical this season continued to do the same he considered just seven and a half runs an over and took a wicket as well on his four overs but uh, i think uh, call was very costly where uh, he went for 48 runs of four overs and that could have been a very big difference between the two teams mm-hmm. and another small news well aj turner ashley turner finally kicked off he i think he was on a five duck spree and he finally broke it and wow. he took uh, ashton turner i mean he took a reminds run. me reminds me of ajit agarkar yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean he has a dubious record he was right. called bombay duck for a reason of course yeah, of indeed course. that was one of the first matches we would like to review the second one uh, was when well rcb lost to uh, De- delhi capitals at kotla right so this meant uh, delhi capitals qualify for the knockouts and by winning against rcb at this point in time they topped the table so they overtook chennai super kings and topped the table and rcb are well effectively knocked out let, let me put it like that but i think we'll we'll discuss this a bit later where uh, you know we'll discover that rcb are actually knocked out but if you were to quick, quickly take a look at this match between delhi capitals and uh, rcb it happened at delhi and batting first um, delhi capitals ma- managed to score 187 for 5 this was a very very good total on this pitch it was well above par because um, they uh, were well Uh, Shikhar Dhawan started very positively and along with uh, Prithvi Shaw and uh, then Shreyas Iyer took over uh, so Shikhar Dhawan and Shreyas Iyer made 50s and then in the end Sherfian Rutherford uh, hit a rapid 28 and took them to 187 when it comes to the RCB bowling uh, Umesh Yadav uh, took one for 39 of his four overs Washington Sundar opened the bowling with him and took one for 29 Yuzvendra Chahal who's been very economical or more or less been very reliable for his captain this season took 2 for 41 and uh, sani who's also been economical took 1 for 41 this meant you know they had a very tough chase rcb did did their best so parthiv patel and kohli opened and they provided them a good start of a 63 run partnership well under 7 uh, 6 overs almost so parthiv patel was the first to be dismissed for a 20 ball 39 and kohli was playing sort of a holding role uh, scoring at just 135 making 23 runs but number 3 number 4 and then on there were not a lot of contributions there ab de villiers made 17 uh, shivam dube made 24 classen couldn't get going and just scored 3 gurkirat singh and marcus toynes tried their best at the end but there was too much to do gurkirat singh made uh, 19 ball 27 and marcus toynes made a 24 ball 32 but uh, in the end rcb fell 16 runs short and uh, they lost this match and for, when it comes to bowling kagiso rabada took 2 for 31 amit mishra has been uh, doing really well in this ipl and he took 2 for 29 and akshar patel who bowled, who opened the bowling with ishan sharma took 1 for 26 right and sheshwan rudraford showed his uh, all round skills not only complementing his batting with some uh, medium fast bowling and he took uh, a wicket in his one over right he took the important wicket of abd villiers so when you look at it it feels like you know uh, the shafian rutherford uh, could be the next uh, well we don't know if he'll be the andrew russell at least he could be the next um, carlos prathwaite one feels what do you think well i haven't seen him play actually so mm-hmm. forward to uh, seeing him back right um, yeah interesting they they have these crop of players you know <laughs> they're coming in waves as it were mm-hmm. um so 
yeah interesting times ahead i i hope he's going to bolster uh, the west indian uh, limited overs side mm-hmm. in in the coming uh, years after uh, you know a stalwart like uh, chris gale retires after the world so i mean this guy looks like a midlore uh, batter uh, he may not be able to open but we never know i mean some there have been some very good converted uh, midlore batsmen who became yeah, rohit sharma players. for example indeed another one yeah. another yeah. indeed so if you look at uh, well one of the next matches we would like to quickly take a look of course is uh, rcb versus uh, rr that is uh, challengers bangalore they were playing at home against rajasthan royals and this was a very crucial match for both teams I mean, uh, a result in this match would have been very important for both teams, but unfortunately, this match got washed out after they sort of uh, opened or they kept waiting until the very last moment the match could be started with five overs apiece, right? So RCB batting first scored 62 for seven. They never got going. Kohli made 25 runs of just seven balls, but uh, you know they decided to open with uh, ABD Villiers in place of Parthiv Patel, maybe, it, but it might not have been the right thing to do. and they somehow never got going and they finished 62 for 7 with uh, shreyas gopal who bowled only one over who bowled the second over of the innings actually took a hat trick and uh, his it was a very interesting uh, sort of uh, over i don't know if you saw this kid no i didn't catch i mean i was able to catch uh, the reply uh, or let's say the shortened version of the game and in this case uh, his first three balls were 6 4 and 2 and his next three balls were wicket wicket and wicket so as a result he took a hat trick so the people or the batters he dismissed were kohli abd villiers and stoinis so it was a fantastic fantastic uh, bowling from uh, shreyas gopal who uh, is showing his uh, home team you know he represent he represents karnataka in the first class setup yeah. he's showing them what they're missing as he took a hat trick so uh, that sort of restricted uh, you know rcb to just 62 but then when uh, rajasthan royals started their reply it was going well for them because sanju samson uh, scored 28 of just 13 balls and dm lingston was 11 not out of 7 balls so sort of it looked like they could chase this down but uh, the rain intervened and as a result the match got abandoned what this means effectively is that um, rcb are knocked out right so rcb have almost lost all chances including mathematical chances to qualify right yeah and rajasthan royals own chances hang by an absolute thread here uh, a victory here for them would have really helped right but unfortunately they couldn't get it so well uh, the only good uh, thing to take away from this match was that shreyas gopal took a hat trick outside of that it was a real uh, washout it was a real you know fans kept waiting in the stadium and the stadium was still about 3/4 full when the match was resumed but it still didn't matter unfortunately and uh, you know the match was, could not be finished um Yeah. yeah, I think I think uh, we have to see if uh, I think RCB have one more match against uh, Kings 11. Mm-hmm. No, is, is that Sunrisers? I think. So yes. if, can RCB salvage something out of that and not finish, you know, uh, plumb last basically in the table? Okay. And uh, so that that remains to be seen. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that match mm-hmm. is placed on uh, Saturday, uh, as right. I understand. So we we mm-hmm. will uh, we'll see what happens. I think we'll cover that in our next episode. All right. Uh, well, but I think RCB probably needs needs a lot of changes for next mm-hmm. season. You know, they had a guy like uh, Shivam Dubey, for right. example. They paid, I think, uh, in Indian rupees there was about five crores. Wow. It's a lot of All money right. for that guy. And then he played, I don't know, in how many matches? Maybe two or three matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he couldn't even make an impact. I think he probably batted too low in the batting order. Mm-hmm. So some changes there. I think those uh, those. Uh, 
yeah those buys that they had uh, right also Cameron Hetmeyer he was mm. underused i think mm. Mm. um so they they need to think really hard and stoinis was not available for the first part of the um, for the for the, for for the initial part of the, their campaign mm-hmm. he was only available you know in the middle and then he's now gone again i think after this match uh, for uh, uh, he's back on australian duty i think so mm-hmm. is warner uh, for sunrisers of course right, right. um so so they they need to check all these things and they probably need to give a lot more uh, uh, they need to inject a little more home talent i would say you know shreyas gopal pro was probably making a case here in mm-hmm. front of his home mm-hmm. fans Right, uh, right. They already have Yuzvendra Chahal, of course, but uh, then again, you know, you you really have to look harder. I think Sangakara mentioned this in one of his uh, analysis. I think maybe even three or four weeks ago. When, I see. When RCB see. had lost three or four matches in a row, uh, he said they don't have enough Karnataka players. They don't have people uh, from the local region. So they they have good foreign players like A B De Villiers. Mm. Um, and now also Shimron Hetmeyer, but then again, I think Gary Kirsten. Uh, I don't know if he'll remain the coach for next season. He probably mm-hmm. will. Uh, mm-hmm. If he does, then he has a lot of thinking to do. Uh, I mean, I for one am uh, a believer that Virat Kohli should not be given the captaincy of this team. They should promote someone else and let Virat Kohli just focus on his batting. I think he has enough to do already with the Indian cricket team. He is the captain of the limited over side there as well as the Test team. Um, so he he probably needs a break as well. I don't know how uh, fresh he is for the World Cup after this IPL campaign. Maybe it's good for RCB that they don't qualify for the eliminators. Otherwise, they would he would probably need to play a couple of extra matches. So I see it that way. But a lot of thinking to do for RCB. I don't know. Um, they they need to do something for next season. Otherwise, they will keep languishing there at the bottom. I understand. No, no, I think you're right. They got their team selection wrong. They also got their, let's say, the structuring of the entire team wrong. Probably the balance of the team was not right. Correct? And the other thing is that, you know, we keep discussing who is the other potential person that can take over um, RCB's captaincy if it were to be not, you know, Virat Kohli. Uh, UV earlier uh, thought of, you know, somebody like maybe Moin Ali, and we always know A.B.D. Willers is sort of a reluctant captain. Mm. There is another person here we have obviously ignored. He's been doing well this season, Parthip Patel. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it sort of comes out of the blue, I know. But this guy has extensive captain's experience at all levels in the Indian domestic, uh, Indian domestic cricket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say he could still be, you know, taken on as a option if required next season. He's also been a very good performer this season, right? So yeah. as a result, I mean, that would be a good way to uh, for RCB to take uh, this forward, I would say. Mm. Right? Mm. All right. Um, okay. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you were to just quickly take a look at the upcoming matches, I think there's a match between uh, KKR and uh, Kings 11's Punjab. So this is going to be very crucial for both teams again, very much like what happened between, you know, Deccan, uh, sorry, uh, Rajasthan Royals and RCB. So sort of both their uh, qualifications uh I don't this. know why you like Deccan Chargers so much, Ajit. I myself don't know. If I ever were to come across this myself, I'll try to... Well, we can talk about it. In our <laughs> no worries. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Going on with our next section. Uh, now, with the World Cup team preview section here, uh, today we are going to preview England, who are one of the favorites for the World Cup. They are playing their home World Cup, of course. And uh, to help us uh, review the England team and their chances at the upcoming World Cup, 
we are welcoming back nakul pande who'll be from guerrilla cricket who's joining us again hello nakul thanks for joining the podcast hi there ajit uh, good uh, good to see to you again i i understand you're also preparing uh, some stuff for yourself after all guerrilla cricket has some uh, important uh, stuff tomorrow isn't it yeah we certainly do so we're recording this on the eve of england's one day international against ireland in malahide uh, so i'm uh doing my statistical preparations uh for that game particularly focused on the uh on the Ireland squad although the England squad is uh, a little bit new look from uh from certainly from what it'll be at the World Cup uh, mm-hmm. a lot of players auditioning for uh for spaces but yeah uh, I'm uh, doing my my pre-game prep indeed indeed I mean I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, the commentary tomorrow on Kerala cricket and I don't care whether it rains or not but i'd rather hear the game called but otherwise i'm <laughs> i'm happy to hear the waffle waffling yeah. going on i really like yeah. it guys yeah I, i would imagine i imagine this will be going out after that game but the the latest forecast we have is it will be cold but dry all right that's that's then a typical uh, typical let's say may day i'm sure um i started my season this uh, last weekend and we had a practice game and Ah well, I could feel the chill in my bones really. So <laughs> I wish you all the best. Uh, all right then. Going on. So um, maybe we can take a quick look at the you know the historical perspective of how England have done uh, in the World Cups, right? So England have been one of the stronger teams at the World Cups. They have finished runner-up thrice. So we know 79, 87, and 1992. right and uh, well the first uh, three world cups were also held in england so they have had some home condition experience previously so i think also as the upcoming uh, world cup is also going to be held in england they start as home favorites and also for a change their team is really nicely peaking isn't it nako it certainly has been over the last well since the last world cup really since owen morgan uh, took over the captaincy in the wake of the disastrous 2015 world cup from that New Zealand series when New Zealand led by Brendan McCullum came over and kind of showed England uh, a potential uh, template for for how to play is that uh, in terms of being hyper aggressive in terms of uh, having having mm-hmm. very clear roles and having a real a real freedom uh, within the within the squad and that's been very carefully built by England over the last four years under Morgan's leadership uh, with with Trevor Bayliss and Paul Farbrace behind the scenes as well with some some news in recent time has people looking for things to panic over as ever um that sort of uh that perennial thing of England potentially looking for reasons to panic before the world cup they've gone into world cups before where up until a few yeah maybe a few months before or a few weeks before mm-hmm. they've been they've been going one way uh, and then they've had sudden last minute panic changes Uh, I think a lot of that is native English pessimism or latent English pessimism uh rather I think uh, that thing that uh, a lot of sports fans will be very familiar with is that they have a just general sinking feeling uh whenever it comes to the possibility <laughs> of their team winning anything but right, I, I right. think uh, I think a lot of these issues will resolve themselves some of them um particularly the ones that have made the news over the past couple of days uh will be will have to be resolved in other ways but i think the the minor injuries to the likes of jason roy and the uh, the resting of some of the ipl players i think that'll resolve itself and england are a, a very strong team this is the this is the best one day team in the england have ever produced and they've they've shown the way for the the other teams that will be 
uh, trying to take this World Cup. Indeed, indeed. So, from a historical perspective, England have uh, played 73 matches at the World Cups. They have won 41, they have lost 30, and there have been two no results. Right? And, uh, of course, uh, we all remember the famous finals, the 79, 87, and 92. Each of them are famous for their own reasons. But if you were to look back quickly at the finals, you know, the first one is, well, the 1979 final where the West Indies were sort of beginning to hit their stride and uh, they got caught cold by a certain uh, Vivian Richards, Sir Vivian Richards, isn't it? The 138 in the final. Nakul, do you remember or have you seen oh, any highlights? I, I'm, I'm aware of the... Uh, well, 75 was the, the, the first World Cup final kicked off in less than auspicious fashion by one Mr. Sunil Gavaskar uh, mm-hmm. with his now legendary goals, go slow. Uh, but yeah, 75, uh, Biv Richards um, tormented England in, in World Cup finals along with Collis King um, and, a, and a famous uh, famous fighter by, uh, for Joel Garner bowling from basically so high that he was coming down over the, from the ball was coming out above the sight screen. Uh, but uh, the we were talking about I was talking just now about how uh, this England this modern England team playing with playing with freedom and playing with uh, real kind of clear aggression. Um, the the story could not have been more different in the in the early days. So the um, England set a, a a really fairly achievable total in particularly in sixty overs and then yeah but uh, brilliant boycott batting. Uh, in a manner completely not suited to the uh, to the circumstances, and uh, mm-hmm. once once they got out, uh, the pressure was on the middle order to the extent that they just had to swing at everything, and players weren't as good then as swinging at everything uh, as as they are now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Gooch did his bit. I think he had uh, scored a. Uh... 32 runs at almost 115, which is unheard of in those days, I'm sure. But mainly the lower middle order, middle lower middle order of David Gower, Botham and Larkins and Phil Edmonds, they couldn't do too much. And as a result, you are right. I mean, they were already facing at 8 and over. And in those days, probably 8 and over or 9 and over was unheard of, right? So another thing, there is an urban legend, isn't there, uh, about the final that um, I think Clive Lloyd dropped a catch of... uh, Jeff boycott pretty early on. It might have been in the slips of the gully. I think he was more gully fielder, right, Lloyd? Uh, they say he may have dropped it on purpose. Don't yeah, you... I I have seen the footage, and Clive Lloyd was a very safe pair of hands, and it looked a, a very achievable drop by his standards. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't... I think it's pretty difficult for a cricketer to get that instinct out of them to just catch the ball as it comes to them. I think dropping a catch on purpose... Seems unlikely. Whether he was just in in the back of his mind, uh, thinking that maybe don't go at it with uh, just something with it was, it was just subconsciously holding back a little. We mm. will never know. But it uh, it was of some benefit, I think, for the West Indies that Boycott and Brearley's partnership lasted as long as it did. Indeed, indeed. Well, I mean, they batted for almost uh, you know uh, I think a best part of nearly 35 overs, almost uh, 37 overs or 40 overs, and they had only 129 on the board. So that that was a killer there, I think, right? Anyway, I mean, also, of course, you can't take too much away from the way the West Indians bowled, especially the big bird, Joel Garner. I think uh, Colin Croft had a 3 for, and I think Michael Holding had a, a 2 for at, you know, a run, two run rate of 2, actually, economy rate. So that, that's all quite, very really fantastic bowling. And they had to get through 60 hours, I mean, 120 hours in a day as well. It was a long summer day, for sure. 
still i mean i think it was the summer solstice but still i mean if you can imagine such a such a you know 120 days we can't 120 overs in a day we can't even imagine that these days no no particularly with four fast bowlers and four fast bowlers with uh, proper long run ups aha aha indeed indeed all right so that was the 1979 world cup when you go on to the 83 world cup well it was a slightly different story this was in the subcontinent in the in at kolkata and uh, i think australia sort of surprised england england were the form team going into the final when they so i think they so. jumped to 87 83 was also in 83 england. was the 83 was in england yeah 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 you're right you're right yeah uh, well i mean i was just going through the next world cup where they made the final i was looking at their best performances but uh, sure so in the 87 world cup uh, i was i was talking about the 87 world cup final where they played uh, yeah. australia what are your thoughts on those do you remember anything much about it uh my that one hasn't that one hasn't quite achieved the the legendary status of uh, of uh of 79 and or, or of or 92 particularly because of the, mm, mm. uh because of how vivid those uh those color photos those color photos are but it's uh the the infamous reverse sweep i believe is the is the uh really the the thing that is that would stand out to english cricket fans of a certain vintage right 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 i mean my getting the skipper right he was going at 90 and i don't know what he was doing when he reverse swept and scored by the keeper bowling of border if i'm not wrong right yeah that's right and it's you wouldn't necessarily think so much of it now my getting was a very good player of spin but the reverse sweep was not uh, a shot that many people would have practiced mm, uh, mm. and getting was good on the on the orthodox sweep the powerful the power sweep and also good down the ground but uh, I think it's it's one of those there's a there's a there's a thing called defensive decision making where by mm. you rather than doing the thing that is more likely to get you uh the the results you will you will do the thing that will make you look least bad if you fail at it. Ah. And I think and I think so you get more stick uh, more criticism for trying something unorthodox and failing than trying something orthodox. and failing. Right, right, right. Uh I think actually Mike Gatting could be somewhat applauded for uh for going against that uh hmm. if he manages to get a little bit more on it and and you know it it goes for four and uh, and it goes on you know that's one of those sort of cricketing sliding doors moments but um yeah. I think it's what it's uh, an execution error as much as anything uh but I think the fact that it's become such a an infamous moment in in English right. uh, in English cricketing folklore mm-hmm. and you, you you can say the reverse the gatting reverse so people will know what you're talking about um, exactly. I think it's because of it sticks in the memory more because it was an an orthodox thing particularly then mm-hmm. all right all right but uh, you know also I think the, his partnership with Lamb was very crucial and they were scoring at a very very good rate because initially Billathi had sort of eaten up a few of the balls but him and Graham Gooch had laid the foundation that was capitalizable so to say but again the sort of lower middle order uh, I think Peter Downton John Embury Phil Defritus uh, so uh, once Lamb and Gatting got out I think uh, they did their best there are a couple of uh, decent contributions down the order but they couldn't get them across so that was a very narrow loss I think this will really sting I mean this is probably the closest England have come to the cup Uh, and this loss by seven overs seven runs would probably hurt them a bit because 
um Oshale weren't all that good and they didn't have uh, all that all that many great bowlers there was great McDermott and there was you know Bruce Reed opening the bowling there was Simon O'Donnell there was Steve Waugh as the sort of bowling all-rounders and then you had Tim May and Alan Border uh, there was no Glenn McGraw or Warner any one of those you know legends so to say that was in that uh, batting uh, bowling lineup probably that's why England fancied themselves as well this was a bit of a downer right sure it's 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 long before that dynasty that won those consecutive World Cups established itself. And it's long mm. after Lydian Thompson had retired. It's the beginnings of Alan Border uh, molding that team of, uh, of players picked perhaps more on more on a, a character and an ability to uh, to play to the team ethos than, uh, mm. than, mm. Uh, than anything else. You know, they're more perhaps prodigiously talented players who, uh, who didn't get as many chances as they, as they, they should have done. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah, um, Ian Botham's on record saying that he thinks 92 is the best chance they ever had because he thinks they were the the best, ah. uh, the best team at the time. But uh, 87's also a good candidate. Right, of course. But I mean, then we move on to 92. Well, this is uh, Pakistan's greatest moment uh, in one day years, I think, uh, even surpassing their Champions Trophy victory from recent years. Because, I mean, uh, they won the World Cup and uh, an aging, nonetheless, a very uh, powerful Imran Khan led them to the World Cup. And Well, they made only 249 in the final and that was sort of slightly under par, if anything, right? Because I remember um, I remember a bit of the final. I was watching it. I was very young. But I remember that there was a stranglehold that sort of uh, Pakistan uh, had over England in the middle of middle overs because Neil Fairbrother was the only guy doing anything. The England top order failed a bit, chasing uh, 250 to win. And, uh, well, at least Botham, who was usually successful, more successful with the bat in the tournament than the ball, uh, could not get going. And then uh, Graham Gooch and um, I think Graham Hick put on, put, put on a small partnership. But the, basically, the top four sort of had failed. And then it fell, fell upon Neil Fairbrother and again Alan Lamb. Probably he could have done something, something redeeming, uh, but he only could make 31. Then again, the lower middle order, Chris Lewis, Dermot Reeve, the, Derek Pringle, uh, these guys couldn't get them home. It was too much in the end, right? Do you have any more to add? Uh, any nice memories? Yeah, so the 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 famous um, sort of turning point of that game is the the dual the consecutive dismissals of Alan Lamb and Chris Lewis by uh, by Vasim, by Vasim Akram, uh, an absolute exhibition. Um, yeah. Particularly yeah. the one to to Alan Lamb, the one from round the wicket that. Uh, it's it's even looking at it, and I've, I've watched it many many times. Uh, even looking at it, even when you know what's going to happen, it looks impossible. Yes, for someone to I'm... be able to move the ball that much, yeah. uh, coming in from that angle, uh, coming in from round the wicket, it it's not just one that it doesn't just come in and hold its line. It comes in and actually moves away. It's almost yeah. unplayable. Uh, it was a fast leg break. It was a fast leg break. It was a uh, leg break bowled at Probably, I mean, there isn't really a speed gun, but probably must be 90 miles an hour close to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was very rapid. He was on the other side. Yeah, of the, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, Wasim had so many things that made him so difficult to play. The fact that he he, he had a very short run up, he had a very quick arm. He would come up kind of from behind the umpire, and then next ball he gets Chris Lewis with the with the booming in swinger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a little capitalizing on um, on the good work of the of the Pakistan. Uh, sort of medium paces and spinners and Mushtaq Ahmed uh, was was brilliant throughout that uh, throughout that tournament. Um, it's also interesting actually. I was watching uh, a little bit of that uh, final on on YouTube for for other sort of research 
reasons. And Richie Benno is talking about the fact that Inzamam actually goes off the field at some point, and a much right. uh, slimmer Inzamam. And he, he's saying that <laughs> it's weirdly prophetic, actually, that uh, uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, this might be something that Inzamam has to look out for I mean, over right, the course of his right. career. I mean, he made a damn good career despite all that. But uh, mm, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that was uh, it's a little bit of a case of. Um, just everything came together for Pakistan in in the way that uh, has been uh, in a way that's become sort of legendary. They really were struggling through the through the tournament. They uh, they were not the form team going into the tournament. They recalled Imran Khan, who was almost forty by that point. Uh, mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. Re- they were within a few overs of going out of the tournament at one point uh, in the group stage, and then came through, built that momentum. Uh, Mushtaq Ahmed clicked into gear. They had uh, they had Wasim at the height of his uh, certainly, they had his speed, if not necessarily the, his uh, his skill. Uh, mm, mm, and mm. England were a, a little bit reliant on um, on that top order. Um, you know, a lot of one day teams have been. Botham was certainly waning by that point. He was only had a couple of years left of his career. His bowling certainly lacked the uh, the venom uh, of old. He was this was in the phase of his um, of his trash get wickets or the trash get wickets uh, phase of his career. Uh, right, right. Um, and they tried to use him as a pinch hitter, kind of up the order, and it didn't. It didn't work quite as well as uh, as it could have done. But that that was a an England team full of big names and full of uh, full of very good players. You know, Lamb and Fairbrother were a little bit ahead of their time in middle order, but uh, it didn't come together for for all of these reasons. Right, right. It's absolutely right. I mean, uh, also one can also remember the spell Derek Pringle had at the beginning. You know, ten hours, twenty two for three. In a World mm. Cup final, it's fantastic. That that had eight extras in those three wides and five no balls as well. So, I mean, it's it's a fantastic spell. And you're absolutely right there. Uh, Akib Javed sort of complimented him by taking ten overs two for twenty seven, right? But then around him were Wasim Akram and Mushtaq Ahmed. And of course, uh, I think Imran Khan sort of chose to finish it off. It was it wasn't it wasn't going to be one of those IPL finishes with twenty six or twenty eight required in the final over and. It was going to be sort of uh, definite Pakistan victory, and he ensured that by taking the ball, right, in the final over. So yeah, that's right. It is a kind of as ever, uh, Imran, ever the man for the uh, for the big moment. Indeed, indeed, exactly. So I mean, that leaves England really sort of like they're. If you look at their overall record, as I was saying, um, they have been quarter finalists um, three times. They have been semi finalists three times. Ah, sorry, semi-finalists two times and finalists three times. So, you know, they are very strong. They're all the time very strong, uh, except, uh, you know, they have not been able to win. So this is more the case of a, um, a bride, ever the bridesmaid, never the bride sort of yeah, situation. It's interesting you characterize it that, that because that isn't the that isn't the impression of England that I have as a, as a World Cup team. And so, um, this, this may be recency bias uh, playing, but really since from 96 onwards, they've largely been awful uh they've had some uh, 99 mm. 2003 and 2015 were absolutely atrocious 2011 they got through the group stage a little bit luckily they had that tie against india and yeah yeah 2015 yeah. was the worst of the lot they'd been there for various reasons they've been quite a decent one-day international team up until uh up until 2013 they got to the final of the champions trophy lost that in Bizarre circumstances still, mm-hmm. but they had a they had a strong side. They had 
they had Jonathan Trott, who has a superb one-day international record. His strike rate doesn't stand up to modern scrutiny, but he was averaging 50, which is, uh, right. which is no mean feat. They had Kevin Peterson. They had Graham Swan uh, mm-hmm. bowling, bowling very, very well. Mm-hmm. But then that, uh, the team that went to Australia and got whitewashed just broke apart completely. Right. Uh, right. And then the rebuilding took an awfully long time. Uh, I mean, Alistair, Alistair Cook stayed on as captain for far, far too long. We, yeah. we, we still have a, a very vivid sense of memory on guerrilla cricket of doing the seven-match one-day international series in Sri Lanka, which was yeah. Alistair Cook's last series as, as captain. And just it was just turgid. England just had no clue uh, mm-hmm. and just found ever more ridiculous ways to lose this game and bring in Gary Balance, who has a superb yeah. list day record, but uh, was never able to make the step up to. Uh, to one day international cricket and just mm. uh, and had a bowling attack that was just cannon fodder. Right, 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 right. I mean, yeah, I think that they were going through some uh, some troughs at that point in time, I think. And I definitely agree, probably Alistair Cook could have stepped aside a bit earlier and maybe it would have helped his one day career if he had stepped aside for another man to take over. And yeah, I mean, it's a, lo- it's a longer discussion for sure. But yeah, I mean... Now, if you were to just quickly look at their, uh, you know, the star performers uh, when it comes to batting and bowling in for England, uh, there are a couple of bolters in the top five. But uh, I don't know if you've had a look at the list already. Uh, would you t- care to guess who's the most uh, successful batter for England in the World Cups? In the history of World Cups? Yes. Graham Gooch? Yep, right in one. But then uh, the rest of the top five is very interesting. Because I can tell you there are no current players in there, but that no. might not also be much of a surprise. But can we go through quickly with you? Who do you think is two? Alex Stewart. Well, he's uh, he's fifth actually. So, but that's that's a very good guess. But it's Bell at two. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. Seven eighteen Many runs, twenty one matches, and then Andrew you have Strauss. Good guess, but Andrew Strauss is not even in the top ten, I think. Uh, but you know uh, there are Alan Lamb, mm-hmm. and then Graham Hick at sure. three or four. And then you have Alex Stewart rounding out the top five. Kevin Peterson is just outside that. Then there you have Brigadier Collie Block. Then you have mm-hmm. Gatting, Gower, and Fairbrother. Sort of these are the top ten, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you see the highest scorer is Gooch with 897 runs. The average is not bad, 44.85. But considering that he played from 1979 to 1992, that is, uh, yeah, five World Cups, uh, that's, that's not a great uh, return, I would say. But yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you know, four World Cups, I'm sorry. That, that's still not a very great return, but that's that's how it is. England have always, you know, there are no uh, great um, record makers in England. There are There is Alistair Cook. He's the first English player to cross 10,000 runs. And for a country that has played 130 years of cricket, that, that's not a great thing. But then it's not like that at all, right, with the England team. It's uh, that they perform well as a team rather than you have these standard performers. Either with yeah, the yeah, usually. I mean, now with... with... Um, Alistair Cook and James Anderson um, mm, with mm. the amount of test cricket that England play uh, right. now you know, Anderson could go on for another two or three years the way he's going he seems to be getting better and better and right. uh, you know, he could challenge Shane Warne's record I think Murley's a bit of a way off but I think he could yeah. challenge yeah. Uh, Shane Warne in, in theory at least indeed indeed uh, now uh, if you were to go on and look at the England's uh, current squad or the professional squad that ECB has chosen, uh, you can see that they have a very strong bowling lineup. So let's start from the bowling lineup. So you have uh, David Willey, Chris Vokes, Mark Wood, Liam Plunkett, and Tom Curran making up the fast bowling stocks, right? 
of these people you can expect you also can throw jofra archer into the mix now that he's been chosen for the one of odi uh, versus ireland also the uh, t20 and odi against pakistan so maybe there's a bit of talk that you know one of tom curran liam plunkett or david willey may make way and uh, we may have uh, jofra archer take the this player's place uh, it does seem a bit harsh on one of these players but you never know i mean if you were to just think of it in terms of uh, merit you can expect that jofra archer would uh, take his place in this team right uh, going forward uh, if you were to look at the top order of england they have such a strong top order you have uh, johnny besto who will open with jason roy uh, he they are uh, such a dominating uh, opening partnership that you can expect that uh, most teams would be a bit, bit wary of them in the especially in the opening power play right uh then you have uh, a very serene a very serene or if required an attacking jorot who can come out at number 3 following that you have oin morgan who comes in at 4 and of course you have uh josh butler uh, who is such a maverick player isn't he and moving on uh, what do you think about the spinners nakul moin ali is incredibly dangerous uh, his his ability to be incredibly fluent from the off Uh, mm-hmm. and with the ball mm-hmm. he's uh, he and Abdul Rashid complement each other beautifully Abdul Rashid is a world class limited over spinner uh, yep. a consistent wicket taker at any time of the innings is rapidly developing into a good death bowler has a goodly yep. the best in the world can't pick but Moeen Ali is consistent very economical uh, and uh, I think I think those two uh, uh, have made a huge difference uh, having a having wicket taking spinners uh, is no team is going to do well in this world cup without that and I think we spoke about that Uh, mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. about that last time indeed indeed then you have the likes of uh, well jordan lee who's been chosen as a backup spinner uh, i think his batting also contributes to him being chosen ahead of somebody like uh, dawson for example and uh, when it comes to bow- bowling all rounders you always have ben stokes who will play most matches and uh, even though the england skipper might not count on him for all 10 overs in a odi i think he contributes with enough with both bat and ball so that he deserves his place in the 11 and of course uh, whichever one of wokes um, let's say willy or tom curran will play and maybe jofra archer they will also chip in with the bat so england are pretty much uh, well matched there when it comes to bowling all rounders in the squad and also when it comes to uh, keeping you have johnny bestow probably as the main keeper or let's say josh butler as the main keeper and if required johnny bestow can back him up very effectively wins has been chosen as uh, the backup batter or backup opener as well and in all you can expect that this england squad is very well balanced and uh, will make a very strong claim to winning the world cup uh, in the 2019 edition okay then uh, now that we have had a look at england from a historical perspective how they have done in the world cup and so on Uh, shall we get on with uh, their uh, let's say our predictions on how they do in the world cup kiri would you like to start yes um so as you know it's a round robin um format this time around there are 10 teams playing so england play nine matches uh, in the round robin phase uh, before the semi finals are played uh, england start the campaign against south africa and then uh, the next match is against pakistan then they play against bangladesh West Indies, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Australia, India and New Zealand in that sequence. Um so England is a pretty strong team. They're ranked number 1 right now in the world as far as ODI rankings are concerned. 
Um, the only challenge I see here being posed by any team out of these, I would say, is is by mm. you know the number two team right now in the world, and that's India. Right. So okay. I'm going to say England and India. That match played at Edgbaston will be won by uh, India. Uh, apart from that, I'm going to say, I mean, I will be mm. fully biased in favor of England here and then say they're going to win the other matches. All right. So eight to one. So eight wins and one loss. Wow. Okay. That's a very <laughs> bullish prediction. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, for me, um, I would say I more or less agree with you when it comes to how fav- how good they are and that they're favorites. But for me, the last three matches are going to be very crucial. So um, I don't really see them being troubled. Well, the first two matches could be sort of slippery peels, but I expect that they will get through it, right? But the last three matches where they play Australia, India, and New Zealand will be very, very interesting for me because also when it comes to how New Zealand may qualify or not, I would say maybe these matches might be really crucial for New Zealand. So I'm going to say England are actually going to win seven of their matches they're not going to win eight but mm-hmm. they're going to win seven and let's say along with the indian match i might give them one of these two either they are going to lose the match against australia or new zealand but i would still say uh, for me there is no doubt about their qualification uh, in the let's say to the knockout stages of the world cup mm-hmm. so that's one thing uh, what do you say giri about whether uh, they'll be able to go on and win this world cup I think they have every chance of doing that this time around. They have a very good team. Um, although there are some issues mm-hmm. there, of course. We'll come to that in a bit. Right. right. Um, but I think they are very well balanced right now. I, I, I don't think we can think of such a good England team in quite a while. Right. I think they have had a good test side for quite right. some time. Uh, this probably is one of the very few World Cups that they have been very strong. Um, if you remember 1999 World Cup, uh, who was the captain then? Was it Nasser Hussain back then? Uh, I think so. Or is it, yes. Yeah. So how how good was his team then when they played last time around in their home conditions? Um, hmm. They didn't they didn't do that well. I think right. they even lost against India there. Uh, mm-hmm. So this I think is a very good English team. Um, well, I would look forward to them at least come to the finals. Uh, I think they they have a very good chance of. You know, knocking out the team which they play against in uh, semi-finals, mm-hmm. and I think the I mean I know you you have some reservations about this format about round robin, but right. I like this format because we get to see more matches from the same team, and they get to play against all you know the teams that have qualified to play in this uh, World Cup, um, and you might as well play the same team again. Uh, one of the right. teams that I played against again, you know, and either in the semi-finals or in the finals. Mm, in the mm. in the uh, in the other format that we had so far, um, after the 92 World Cup until now, we had something like, you know, two or three, two or four groups, where you know we we had two or three matches all in all before they reached something like a super sixes phase, and then that's where they played round robin sort of, and then they had a, you know, I think quarterfinals or uh, semi-finals. So there was a knockout uh, match after initial two or three matches. So there was always going to be a loser at the end of it. But here, every team gets Mm -hmm. an opportunity to, you know, uh, uh, get into their own rhythm, right? So if if you remember what happened in 2007 World Cup, uh, I think Pakistan and India had a terrible time there. Um, So they were out in the initial phases. I think they were not up to speed. And teams like Pakistan, Mm -hmm. especially we, we keep, you know, we keep, 
keep telling that they are one of those you know volatile teams who can right. bring a surprise this might suit them quite well so we we should keep an eye out for pakistan they you never know uh, they did the same in 1992 they took a while to you know crank it up and then once they were there they were kind of unbeatable right so so teams which take a lot of time to you know basically uh, charge their batteries and you know get warmed up this will suit the this will suit them this format so and england well, uh, england are in good form right now so i do, i mean i don't see any issues there with them reaching semi finals and it would be i think such a delight for the home crowd if they you know when the world cup uh, would be quite an achievement uh, mm-hmm. after the 1966 uh, you know football world cup this could be one of those uh, interesting or uh, this could be one of those unforgettable moments uh, for this generation indeed uh, that's a very good point you make uh, let's see how it pans out of course all right then nakul has also told us his predictions of air so i would like to quickly summarize them here he feels that england will win seven out of the nine matches and they will finish first or second in the after the group stages uh, their likely losses will be against india and new zealand and uh, as a result he feels england will qualify for the knockouts also he feels that uh, england have the wherewithal and the skill set to go all the way in this tournament and win the world cup 2019 we would like to thank nakul for his participation in this section of the podcast uh, and uh, yeah i hope he can come back and do another show with us sometime shortly do uh, stay in, uh, tuned into gerilla cricket and uh, do listen to them throughout the summer as they'll be covering the world cup all right then going on with the world cup news section the most important news we have this week is that alex hales uh, who had failed a you know a hair follicle test earlier uh, and had been given a 21 day uh, let's say ban by ecb is now dropped from the england world cup squad and we see that uh, ben duckett david malan and uh, james wins have been called up for the various series ongoing in his place and most likely james wins is the one that is favored to take over his place in the england world cup squad kiri uh, did you follow this no i only followed that hales was dropped uh, mm. and mm. i mean i haven't gone through all the details here right but uh, you know hales has been in the news for quite a while right he had that incident also with uh, ben stokes in bristol uh, you know was not at bristol yeah he was at bristol right, right. so um, i think he he is a good player uh, it's a shame that uh, he won't be part of the world cup but i i still hope that he has he's given another another chance right to make a comeback to this squad mm. i think he's an essential part of this uh, lineup but he, he is an opener i think he's probably a backup opener because uh, right now uh, jason roy uh, and uh, who is the other guy who is the other opener besto besto these two guys have been doing tremendously well for england so Indeed. i don't see him i didn't see him as a replacement for either of them unless of course one of them was injured so so backup opener in that case would be james wins mm mm-hmm. yeah So, right you're right yeah that makes sense i mean just going into it a little bit more uh, ecb instituted a hair follicle test pre-season and post-season with all the cricketers that are contracted with them after tom maynard a very young uh, player from surrey was uh, sort of uh, his life ended very tragically after he was found uh, to be enjoying or abusing whichever way you look at it some uh, you know recreational drugs as a result after this ecb made it a part of their policy to test all players that are contracted with them and in one such test is when alex hales was caught uh, let's say uh, enjoying some recreational drug uh, 
but you know it really it's really unfortunate as you say that you know this guy's uh, career has been up and down he's only now recently made a comeback into the team having you know re- restituted himself himself and sort of uh, rebuilding his image but it looks like you know he was dropped from the england squad after uh ian morgan came out strongly in favor of this and said that he let his teammates down and he was not sufficiently let's say remorseful when the news broke uh and he did not apologize to his teammates and you know he was not aware of the kind of impact he, this news would have on his teammates going into a world cup that was one of the reasons why i think they chose to drop him and also i think uh, alex giles has come out and said that you know they were unable to talk about it until the news became public you say ashley giles i think ashley you're absolutely right yeah it has too many alexes yeah, yeah too many yeah indeed yeah. so ashley giles came out uh, the head of acb mm. has come out and said that they were unable to comment on it until the news became public but once the news became public uh, he has revealed that you know uh, this uh, positive drug test may have sort of uh, sealed uh, hales's uh, fate when it comes to his removal from the world cup squad it's very unfortunate he's a very talented player and i hope he shapes up that's all we can say about it i guess yeah right uh moving onwards uh, we have a couple of interesting pieces of news from the bangladeshi cricket team uh, regarding the world cup so first of all bangladesh have added taskin ahmed and farhad raza taskin ahmed the fast bowler and uh, medium pace all rounder farhad raza have been added to the tri series in ireland which begins next week right so this means um basically um they were also they've also added naeem hasan an opening all rounder yasir ali as well right so basically they have 19 people they've taken to ireland because they want to try a few more people and maybe they may make some changes to the world cup squad right we were sort of already predicting that you know taskin ahmed might be a part of the squad and it took us by surprise when they announced the squad without him at least mm. and uh, i think they are sort of trying to remedy that so all squads really re- that have been named by the corresponding boards were sort of provisional effectively until 23rd of may right kiri Yeah, so yeah. as a result uh, it looks like you know they can still sort of fix this or replace a couple of their players in their 15 like just like what england might what we just discussed so um well we'll see how this uh, ships up or shapes up going up going in a couple of weeks now and um, another important news that comes from the bangladesh cricket team regarding the world cup is the format of their jersey it looks like uh, you know uh, icc had directed them to have an all green jersey with even the names of the players and uh, the name of the team being in green in a different green of course but uh, the fans of bangladesh cricket team were not happy to leave out the color red which is a part of their flag and very instrumental in their uh, let's say colored clothing all through right and um, well uh, so as a result of this um, bangladesh team has chosen to retain red in the in their you know uh, jersey design so to yeah. say right yeah. another small news well this when this newly designed jersey was uh, revealed uh, it looks like shakib al hasan who was already in the stadium uh, <laughs> as a part of a you know pre season meetup or say pre world cup uh, meetup uh, so sort of there was some miscommunication going on and uh, by the time they wanted to take a team photo shakib al hasan had already left the ground and returned to his house yeah but it was probably the wrong jersey right <laughs> maybe it might have been the wrong jersey <laughs> thing Yeah so so I think it's it's all probably okay in the end. I mean when you look at what Nasmal Hasan the BCB chief had to say he sort of hinted that maybe Shakib Al Hasan was playing a prima donna there. Uh, we don't know if that was the case because he's just returned from IPL 
maybe you know he was recalled from the sunrisers squad yeah he played the match and uh, uh, rightly so because his team uh, bangladesh lives to play some odi series in ireland against west indies yeah. and ireland so maybe uh, there may be a case of bit of a prima donna behavior but maybe it was just miscommunication we really don't right all right um, moving on the next piece of news is that shohaib malik has been given 10 day leave based on compassionate grounds did you read this no i haven't had a chance to look at uh, what happened here but i just know that uh, he's been given you know some time off um does it mean yeah i i hope uh, i mean i don't want to read too much into this i don't know what is going on there but i hope he comes back uh, to the squad you know with uh, uh, with a good state of mind i hope it's not uh, anything serious indeed i mean given that the way it was announced it might not be usual backbiting or bickering that we know but it might be something personal that might be going on so uh, well let's see how it goes uh, those were all the world cup news that we had to uh, sort of discuss today uh, but going on maybe we can take a quick uh, look at uh, you know the other news so in the other news uh, we have uh, well first of all let's quickly look at the uh, conflict of interest issue with tendulkar uh, well tendulkar has come out with a 14 point response right that basically means that um, he has um, responded mm-hmm. to the ombudsman of pcci saying that uh, there is no conflict of interest as far as he is concerned because there has been no monetary compensation he is the mumbai indians icon he is mostly present in the home games i think where he is wearing jersey and you know seen in and around the setup but he says there is no monetary compensation ever right okay So well, that was a very long, drawn out, uh, almost legally right reply. I will not go into that. What do you have to say about this, Kire? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think he he is a man of integrity, so I'm not going to question that when he says that. So let's leave it that. Right. Let's leave it there. Right. Right. So um, next thing is that well, we saw that uh, Namibia have clinched the WCL Division Two title. that basically means that uh, you know in their match in the final they have beaten oman and they've taken the they've been crowned as the world cricket league division 2 champions so this basically means namibia have won their first ever odi mm-hmm. uh, because um they played in the 2003 world cup if you remember yeah i remember that yeah 6 nil there were no matches <laughs> so those are all odis but now that they have regained odi status they have celebrated by winning their first ever odi as well and yeah won a final that was very nice right another small uh, but not so nice news is that well sri lankan cricket have called off the pakistan's under 19 tour of sri lanka after the easter weekend attacks right because they want to review their uh, security situation and so on it's very unfortunate i really hope uh, sri lanka does not go the way of pakistan when it comes to the player security and other things because i know there are some ongoing uh, let's say religious tensions and other things going on there but we really hope they're able to sort it off and this doesn't uh, you know bleed into cricket cricketing uh, relations let's see how it goes right uh, the next thing well is that well alex hebburn uh, the player who was uh, found guilty on a sexual assault case uh, has now been sentenced to 5 years of imprisonment kiri mm. so regarding this i think um, a friend of the podcast tasneem samar khan has written a very powerful blog article and we would like to 
let's say redirect our listeners and our uh, friends to this article and she's had some very strong opinions about this and nakul also had some very strong opinions about this he expressed them to me off air of course and uh, those that are interested can go read this article and she she's a human rights lawyer and she's made a very strong case on why this is the right sort of a decision mm-hmm. right going forward some very nice news sangakkara kumar sangakkara the erstwhile sri lankan cricket great right has still been, is i think yeah, he still is <laughs> and this will uh, do no less this piece of yeah. news to enhance this that he has been chosen as the next mcc president so starting from october 1st he'll take over as the mcc president for a one year uh, let's say stint right yeah uh, and well he's the first non british person ever in the history of the mcc club to you know begin as a president so i think uh, a lot of uh, kudos to sangakkara and our congratulations to him kiri yeah yeah i think befitting really befitting his uh, personality and it's a crowning achievement i think it's probably mcc's uh, gain by making him the president is uh, i know uh, we all know what what a statesman he is you know even outside of cricket Um, so i wish him all the best or we wish him all the best uh, in this role and i hope uh, you know he, he, the uh, the mcc president gets to do what he can do you know as even as a foreigner right yeah. well i mean he's played the uh, he's played the game long enough to know at every stage right at every step and also i mean uh if you've heard us county lecture or some such you would see what a statement this person is as you yeah. rightly pointed what yeah. a statesman huh? and there are also rumors that on the day he retired from international cricket he was offered sri lankan ambassadorship to uk because he was going to be playing county cricket for a couple more seasons mm-hmm. and uh, he chose to stay away from that role but this sort of a let's say his mindset and his opinions have always been recognized he's a lawyer he's a trained lawyer and i'm sure whenever you see him on tv or whenever you see him you know elucidating about any any topic about cricket you see that you see that uh, statesmanship shine through as yeah. a result i think uh, this is the right sort of a person uh, to bring you know also they've gone for new blood he's hardly 40 i think yeah. so that's the right thing i think he takes over from my getting if i'm not wrong but mm-hmm. maybe uh, this can be revisited but at the end of the day a new a newly retired cricketer being chosen as an mcc president is a right move also from the body that sort of yeah. governs cricket right or rather governs the rules that uh, cricket is played with right yeah yeah all right uh, the next piece of news is uh, well we are going to clarify or the player himself has clarified one of the most uh, let's say intriguing uh, mysteries that has uh, gone on in cricket in the last 20 years one of the world's unsolved mysteries right it did it, it very well might be shahid afridi uh, the pakistan cricketing great has revealed in his autobiography that uh, you know uh, he is actually not uh, as let's say 38 or 39 year old as we believe but more like 43 or 44 year old so he's revealed that he's actually born in 1975 not 1980 as previously assumed that means mm-hmm. well it doesn't take shine of any of his achievements and his records but well it just gives us more more uh, let's say respect for this person because he's 43 or 44 rather than just 39 mm-hmm. we know the people from that part of the world are very strong misbah shown it uh, you know imran had showed it and yunus khan has showed it and this guy just takes it to the next level he's 43 44 and if you look at his uh, achievements in the latest psl he played eight matches took 10 wickets at a you know at a run rate of just 6.74 so his effectiveness is as good as ever giri mm. yeah 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 
come to think of it, I think uh, he played that explosive innings um, in 1996 in Kenya, if I'm not wrong. Right. I think at that time, that was the fastest century, 37-ball century. Indeed. Wasn't that against Sri Lanka? Mm-hmm. Um, and he announced basically his, uh, you know, uh, himself to the world that he's one of those expl- explosive batsmen. He continued in the same way, I would say, mm-hmm. for many more years, although not always effective. He didn't always convert his starts into, uh, you know, bigger scores. Mm-hmm. Um, what Afridi reminds me of is that famous test match um, against uh, India in Ferocia right. Kotla, right. 1999. Indeed. Himself and uh, Saeed Anwar, they were playing so well. Uh, right. I think he opened in that test match. Yeah. And I think Afridi may even have scored a century then, if I'm not wrong, in that uh-huh. match. I, I don't I don't know. I, I mean, sorry. Was this the Kumble 10 for Yeah, matches. exactly. First yes. possibly. Yeah. So yeah. I think they were chasing a target of 420, and these two guys had put on 150 or something already. Mm-hmm. Uh, India were running out of ideas uh, until uh, until I think uh, this guy uh, A V J Prakash raised his finger uh, <laughs> and gave him out. <laughs> well, there, there may have been some merit uh, to the appeal, but we will never know, right? We will never know, but yes. it probably yeah I don't know. I mean I don't want to comment uh, on a mm. on a decision that was made on the field and it's now in the record ah, books. Part. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's part, part of the game, but yeah, it it reminds me of all those. Uh, uh, you know, wonderful innings that Afridi has played. Mm-hmm. And 1999, according to his, you know, current uh, revelation, mm-hmm. would have made in 24, uh, an age right. of 24 back then. So so he was not uh, <laughs> a 19-year-old as he had, you know, made us believe back then. Mm-hmm. Or probably the records, the official records uh, had made us believe. Right. But it, as you said, you know, it's, it's quite, it's such a strong... Um, mm-hmm. uh, personality strong you know physically so strong that he could continue exactly uh, playing uh, competitive cricket even at the uh, age of 43 or 44 uh, another name that pops up in your head ajit well i mean misbah my favorite misbah my favorite yeah but i think his he, his age was probably uh, the right one uh, for right. a change uh, exactly. and i i think i also read somewhere that uh, yunus khan also exactly. had a a different age than was what uh, than what was uh, you know mentioned in the official records. I think the official records probably say he was born in 1977 or something, mm-hmm. and he was probably two or three years older than that. Mm-hmm. And he also you know if you count those uh, years in, I mm-hmm. think he also played well into his 40s or even very close to his 40. Yes. Yet, yes. Uh, your, uh, well, I mean and, there was a small correction there. I think what happened was uh, when he retired after winning the T20 World Cup. If you remember, yeah, he said that uh, you know this is the <clears throat> let's say the game of youngsters. This is 2009, mm. and he claimed to be around 34 or 35 then. Yeah, and um, PCB insisted he was 31, of course. <laughs> but uh, what happened was that that means when he retired, he was also 40, 40, 41. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Right? So, and uh, one of the current players right now in the world, mm. another guy who you know we we may not know his real age but official records say that he's 20 years old now and you know <laughs> who we are not. talking about yeah, yeah. also yeah. from same region but in, from afghanistan in fact so just across a, a couple of miles on the other side i'm sure but i mean look um, he looks like a very mature 20 year old let me put it like this <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Uh, but and his cricket and his actions also show that. If you hear, if you ever heard him speak, he sounds really mature. Hmm. I'm not discrediting any 20-year-old out there who can't be that mature, but this guy has a very mature outlook on life, right? Hmm. And uh, it shown it shines through when he speaks. But nonetheless, I mean, we'll see. Maybe he has an autobiography coming up in a couple of decades, and we know his real age, or if that is his real age. Look, age is just a number, and yeah. these guys. Beat you know Afridi, beat Miss Babis, beat Yunus or beat Rashid Khan. At the end of the day, that's what they're doing to us. You know, if you were to follow Dylan Thomas's poem, you know, rage against the night, all that, right? So these guys are living proof of that thing. You don't accept aging lightly, or you don't accept aging and defeat that you know age, which it will defeat all of us. But let's say you know these guys are our, uh, let's say uh, we can take inspiration from these guys. Yeah, absolutely. That's all right. It. All right. This brings to uh, close all the important news that we want to cover this week. That gives us a chance to go on with the trivia question for this week. All right. So in keeping with our uh, tradition of sort of, uh, let's say, asking a trivia question about the team that we discussed this episode. The question for this week is, who bowled the first ever ball in an ODI and who faced it? Right. So if you've heard us discuss uh, the England preview section, I think we've mentioned this player a couple of times, at least the batter. So that's the clue you have, right? All right, then. Uh, as always, uh, we say we keep our fans in our mind when we talk about this, that please talk about our podcast with your cricketing friends. Make our podcast more popular if possible. And if you have any comments about how our podcast is going, get in touch with us, right? You can always get in touch with us through our mail ID, which is armchair.cricket at gmail.com or our Twitter handle, which is at armchair cricket, pod, right? We have a Facebook page. You can leave, our, leave us some comments on there, or you can also leave us comments in whichever podcasting app you follow, be it Apple Podcasts, Podbean, CastBox, any of these, right? We'll be usually monitoring these and anything you say will be, uh, you know, received gratefully. Also, you know, we have a very interesting uh, guest joining us for next week when we review India's chances at the World Cup. I hope you can join us for the upcoming episodes. And we'll also have some special, uh, let's say, sections in the World Cup once the World Cup begins. And we'll be reviewing that in detail with some of our guests. We may have some recurring guests as well. Right. So, well, uh, that brings us to the close of this podcast. Having said all that, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from him. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.